Hello and welcome back to Sex Here and Now, the podcast dedicated to promoting sex positivity and inclusivity. As always, I am your host, Matt Lachman. I'm a licensed therapist who specializes in sexual health, sexual dysfunctions, and overall sex therapy. One thing to note, this podcast does contain language that some may find offensive. But with that being said, let's dive right in. Thank you everyone for listening to my first ever episode. One of the great aspects about being a sex positive therapist is having the ability to be exposed to many different lifestyles and forms of thinking. This is one of the reasons why I love what I do and as a therapist who works a ton with the LGBTQIA community, I thought it was a great idea to help others understand just a sliver of what members of the community experience. This podcast will cover a ton of topics that do relate to this community, but I will also speak more generally as well as being sex positive and having sexual health concerns does not discriminate against sexual orientation. In fact, the topic I want to spend some of my energy on today is one that impacts everyone, and that is the topic of sex addiction. Or should I say, the myth that one can be addicted to sex. We're going to get into why this idea is so convoluted and misleading, but first I wanted to note something about this topic before we begin. The thing is, this will not be the only time I address this topic. This is one of the most detrimental pieces of information that has spread across our country. One episode dedicated to this highly sex-negative topic is not enough, and I will do my best to use this platform to educate all of you on why this fallacy known as sex addiction has come to exist. Let's start with where this idea came from. You know, I hate using the term fake news as it was coined by a person who I fundamentally disagree with, on every level, and an administration who is constantly looking to limit privileges to non-white cisgendered individuals. But this notion of sex addiction was created by and continually promoted by the media. Thus, unfortunately, it is fake news. The media in our society has created the term sex addiction for any behavior that is perceived quote-unquote out of control by other people or just different from what people consider the norm, which is just vanilla sex. And there's nothing wrong with vanilla sex. But just because someone I know may like to have group sex or be double penetrated does not mean that they are a sex addict. My goal as a sex and relationship therapist is to help reduce the shame people feel about engaging in different kinds of sex and help them start living their true authentic sexuality. Your goal is to not shame your friends or call them addicts or sluts when they have sex with more than one person in a day or a week. Oh, and this term slut, we will get more into that another time. But you better believe we are in the process of reclaiming that word. Sex addiction is a misnomer. Sexuality is always with us. It is operating on us and is simply not something you can be addicted to. What I mean by operating on us is that it is always there no matter what the situation is. Making eye contact, sending a text, standing in line in the grocery store, it is always there with us, waiting for the opportunity to pop in and say hello. I would be doing you a disservice if I did not mention some pioneers in the field of sex therapy who focus on sex addiction. 
Dr. Chris Donoghue is a sex therapist who has a couple books out there, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love, and he addresses this concept. He also has a great podcast out there called Love Line, which addresses topics in sex therapy and in the culture today. Michael Vigorito is a marriage and family therapist who used to promote the idea of sex addiction in his early years of therapy, but has since realized how detrimental that term is to our society. Dr. David Lee wrote The Myth of Sex Addiction, and although I have not read it yet, it is in the queue. Finally, although I could go on and on naming people like Dr. Eric Sprankle and Dr. Joe Cord, who have done groundbreaking work in the field, I will mention Dr. Nicole Prouse, who looks at the neuroscience behind sexual behavior and addiction, and we will be talking a little bit about her work later on. The reason I mention these people is because the idea that sex addiction is not real and does not exist is not new to this society. This notion is well supported by various doctors, therapists, and other members in the mental health community who strive for clarity. You know, one of the main ethical tenets in therapy is doing no harm to the client. By telling people that they have a sex addiction because their behavior may seem out of control, that is doing harm. Now that is not to discredit individuals who may be utilizing sex in a problematic way, like coping for example, but saying that someone has an addiction is problematic. I mean, let's look at the treatment model that is currently out there for individuals who have a quote-unquote sex addiction. First and foremost, it invites shame. Therapists who prescribe to this model communicate to clients that whatever they are thinking, feeling, and wanting in their own personal sex life is wrong. This model is often used to police forms of sexuality that have often scared people. One of the most common complaints that I hear involves a heterosexual monogamous couple where one partner, typically the identified female, complains that the identified male masturbates too much and watches porn. This is funny to me. You can spend your day watching basketball for hours, but if it's porn or thinking about sex, it's a problem? Why? Some people say, well, it's just gross. Okay, well, my response to you would be twofold. One, you don't have to watch it. And two, have you thought about why you think two people having sex is gross? Another one I hear is, why does he have to watch porn if he has me to satisfy his needs? Again, it's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. Maybe your partner has a high sex drive and needs to masturbate twice a day. Maybe you are working and your partner needs a break. By the way, I've been using a heterosexual couple in this conversation just because I find it happens the most with this specific pairing. But this can also happen in every relationship. It could even be a role reversal. The woman having a high sex drive and the man catching her. Does that make it less shameful? Listen, our fear of sex has led us to where we police other people all the time for their sexual behavior. I used to do it as well. These days, I'm not mad at my friends who slip up and say sex negative statements as long as they learn why they are damaging and shameful and choose to change it in the future. When looking at compulsive sexual behavior that causes despair for a client, 
we cannot look at these actions as an assess, diagnose, and treat model. This is a behavioral problem and it has multiple layers. Again, this is a conversation and topic that we're going to address multiple times throughout this podcast. But talking a little bit more about how the term sex addiction came to be so well known in our society, I want you to think of areas where you have heard this term used before. Think hard. I'll give you a moment. Want to know an area where it has become a huge problem? Our legal system. Dr. David Lee has spent a good majority of his career studying how the term sex addiction is used as a defense. Attorneys started using this term as an scapegoat for their clients to not accept responsibility. Let's use a case example. As a Clevelander, this court case comes to mind. Do you remember Ariel Castro? He was a Cleveland man who raped and kidnapped multiple women and even had children with some of them. Thankfully, some of the women were able to escape, and that is when it came to the media's attention. Now, there's a ton of information that I am passing over here regarding the case that is just not relevant to this podcast, but what is relevant is that he claimed before his subsequent death in prison that he was not a monster. He was just sick and had a porn addiction, and that is why he engaged in those sick and foul behaviors. Thankfully, he did not get to bring this up in court because he did pass away. But the number of people who do blame their behaviors on a quote-unquote sex or porn addiction is growing exponentially. Tiger Woods is another prime example. Why are we letting him off the hook for his behaviors and actions? Dr. Chris Donahue said it best. At the end of the day, he is just a narcissist who broke his marital vows that he had agreed to, and quite frankly, He's just not a good dude. Because this term has grown so much, courts are now allowing people to go off and get treatment for sex addiction instead of facing the punishment they deserve. Another point that people like to make when they talk about sex addiction involves our neurotransmitters and how they are impacted by sexual behavior. One of the main arguments is that if dopamine is involved, it has to be an addiction, plain and simple. While yes, dopamine is one of the main neurotransmitters that is triggered in a majority of diagnosable addictions, it does not mean it is the sole determining factor to what gives somebody an addiction. You see, just because the brain's reward system is involved does not mean it has to be an addiction. A ton of things activate a dopamine release. Here, let me list some for you. Exercise, coffee, eating food, which again, food addiction is not real either, but we can talk about that in person if you want. Taking supplements, being exposed to sunlight, hugging somebody, getting a massage, petting your cat or dog or goldfish, sleep regulation, meditation, uh, listening to music. Do you see where I'm going with this? Dopamine release does not equal an addiction. Now, what does make up an addiction? 
several things. First and foremost, withdrawal symptoms are common. Essentially, when you do not partake in a behavior, you have negative symptoms and physiological withdrawal. There is also the notion that you require more of the behavior or substance to reach a specific high. There is already a self-regulator in place when you think about it. You can only have so many orgasms, so there is nothing higher you can reach. Addictions have these tolerance effects that people go through. Sexuality does not. The other components that are required for an addiction are not present when labeling someone a sex addict. I know people want to fit things they do not know anything about into a box and call it a day, but they just can't with this one. As always, I want to make sure I'm bringing up examples of the topics I address on this podcast in real time and with current examples in our culture and society today. Now, something I do not have to point out to you is that actors have a huge impact in our society. TV shows and movies continue to drive conversations amongst friend groups, and it is common to start a sentence with the phrase, Oh my God, did you see blank show last night? With so much great programming out there, I feel blessed to live in this world today so that I can be exposed to these great performances that are getting produced. One of those great shows that just finished wrapping up its second season is HBO's Big Little Lies. I have to say, I am one who is easily persuaded to like anything that has great actresses in it. I make no apologies for my intense love of actresses like Julia Roberts, Kate Blanchett, and Nicole Kidman. I think that is why I've become so obsessed with this show. The characters are so complex and layered. You never really know what twist lies ahead, and not just for the main women of the show, but every character. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything, so don't worry. But recently, one of the characters was accused of having a sex addiction and was being slut-shamed as well. When watching the scene, I turned to my boyfriend and just started shaking my head. Why do this? Why take this complex character and this show that has such fantastic writing and boil the character's actions down to, well, she must have an addiction to sex. It was troublesome on so many levels. And let me tell you why. This woman in question was a product of a severely abusive relationship. Sometimes in these complex situations, and I cannot reiterate enough how complex domestic violence is. So for people who shame others for not leaving one, you need to step back because it's not easy, plain and simple. But back to my point, sometimes hostile domestic violence situations can lead to intense physical intimacy because that is the cycle of abuse that happens. This is the key therapeutic phrase I want you to take away cycle of abuse. There's an altercation followed by a forgiveness period. That forgiveness period can take the form of sex. So for instance, this character ended up getting out of the relationship and started to sleep around with various other men. Now here's where the bullshit comes in. Because this character would have one night stands and sex that was perceived by others to be physical, maybe hostile, and definitely out of the norm, she must have an addiction to it, right? She has to. She must get help and stop having sex because God forbid a woman enjoys having sex. 
but that's a topic for a later discussion. Do you want to know what is happening here? As a licensed therapist, I see this behavior a lot in my clients. What is happening is that this character is coping. She is overwhelmed by her situation and she is handling it in one of the only ways she knows how to. Not only that, but she's also grieving. She's trying to survive in a world that has been turned upside down for her. My point here is this. Should she be processing her guilt and stress in a different way? Maybe. But at the end of the day, what takes place between two consenting adults is their business. Do not label it an addiction. Because again, that makes people think a biological drive that they have within them is wrong and needs to be fixed to fit what our society deems appropriate. This is one of the many examples of, again, our media taking this notion and shoving it down our throats. As I wrap up, I want to point out a few takeaway points. Sex and physical intimacy can be a lot of things. It can be fun and adventurous, and it can also be destructive and unwanted. Your sexual behavior might feel addictive to you and difficult to regulate, but that does not make it an addiction. Compulsive sex may be destructive for some people and thrilling for others. Here's the thing. Each person is different. Some people's sexuality is more compulsive. They want it immediately. Some people are also more obsessive. They have a routine that they like to follow. And quite frankly, some people may just have a higher sex drive. My sex drive is different from each and every one of you listening to this podcast. Don't let anyone tell you that what you want is wrong or shameful. If you like threesomes, do it. You want to be tied up? Go right ahead. You want to watch porn and have sex with your significant other? You have my permission. My words of wisdom to those listening who think that they have out-of-control behavior? Look up your local ASEC sex therapist and start talking. Our society shames us so much already. Don't do it to yourself. That does it for this episode. As always, you can follow me on Instagram for more news and updates about the podcast at sex underscore here and now pod. Look at my website, sexherenow.com for more information as well. And you can like and follow my page on Facebook, Sex Here and Now. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sex positive.